To episode two of the WRVU podcast, an experiment where we get all the voices WRVU together under one roof. Today we've got some great stuff coming at you, some new stuff coming at you. Check back on that repeat material, episode three. We're gonna bring back the rap segment, some familiarity for you mix. But today we've got Sammy Spencer talking about art. Lots of good stuff with our friend George Miller. Kind of digs into the philosophy of collaboration. Really a fantastic, deep, and interesting conversation about art and the creative process. Please check that out. That'll be coming up second. Up first, we got Aiden and Cole. Some new DJs here talking some awesome stuff. Um, Really talking some trash. Some trash that we, we love. About Ed Sheeran and others. (laughs) <laughs> because praise is boring, no? Here are Aiden and Cole. Stay tuned for Sammy Spencer and George Miller, and enjoy. What's up, WRBU? Uh, my name is Cole Jackson. Uh, I'm Aiden Armas. And we're here to talk a little bit today. we got a, a new kind of segment. Yes, indeed. We're uh, trying to diverge from the norms we started to establish a bit. Um, so we do a lot of stuff at the podcast where we talk about uh, like really great music that's coming out, and that's awesome, and the praise is necessary and warranted a lot, but also sometimes you just need to like, trash some really bad music. There's a lot of bad music out there mm-hmm. that um, goes a little bit unnoticed on, on places like <laughs> WRVU, so that's what this segment's going to be dedicated to, is talking about just the, uh, the garbage that's out there right now. Exactly. And first... On our chopping block for this segment, we have uh, a little man people know as Ed Sheeran. The one and only. The one, the only. <laughs> so, Aiden, my main problem with Ed Sheeran, here's what I actually think. Ed Sheeran's first album was, plus he's done this like mathematical thing. Yeah, the um, theme and the names and the symbols. Plus, and then multiply and then divide. Mm-hmm. Assumedly, we'll have to sub- subtract <laughs> next. I mean... I don't know what other direction he could possibly take it. I don't know. Either. He's going to pigeonhole himself. That's right. And we're going to like, yeah, we're going to get into like exponents. I don't know <laughs> at some point. Um, here's my thing. I think that plus the first album was um, was was a was a fine album. You know, yeah. I, I think that it was. Uh, you know, there was some like sentimental. It, it wasn't like great by any means. There was like mm-hmm. some cute sentimental songs on there. Um, but then he released the same album two other times. <laughs> he just released it twice again. He he's like, this works. So I'm gonna. Re- he just he's made one album three times. That's what mm-hmm. I always like to say. And um, you know, with each one, they've gotten just less and less exciting, less mm-hmm. and less unique. I mean, I feel like uh, his, his lyrics and whatnot they weren't they were kind of boring to begin with. That's right. And then you do that boringness <laughs> three times over. <laughs> yeah, it got more boring. It, yeah, yeah. Um, Okay. <laughs> so I, I'll, I'm going to start off by just reading some Ed Sheeran lyrics. I think, I think it's important. You know, a lot of people call him, I've heard him been called like a 
poet before. You know, like people, yeah. some people are just really into his writing. They think he's, he's like, super beautiful and like. Right, it's yeah. like your MCM thinks this is deep type of stuff. Yes, like exactly, it, <laughs> exactly. Shit. And it's all really cliche, I think. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of my favorites, I was just looking. This is a great line from his song, uh, Wake Me Up. It says, and I know you love Shrek because we've watched it 12 times. That's beautiful. I think <laughs> that's, that's so beautiful. Deep. I think that's, that's absolutely gorgeous. That says so much about like that relationship he's, like, referring mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. I really get a sense of, like, where he's at. And what really puts me in my place, there's a line in his song, Erasure, that says, I think that money is the root of all evil and fame is hell. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that profound? <laughs> I've never heard anyone. One of the most famous men in the world says, yeah, I don't like money, and I, I think fame is bad. That's, that's nice. That's, that's mm-hmm. real great, Ed. <laughs> Another one. Um, yeah, he, he, like... Tries to speak some botched Spanish in his new Divide album. Mm-hmm. This weird rap stuff. Yeah, he does this weird rap thing. He like when pilots kind of exactly. style. Also not great. We'll get to that later at some point. Exactly. You know this this line actually really sums up sums up some Ed Sheeran. He says, "I ain't got a soapbox I can stand on, but God gave me a stage, a guitar, and a song." Wow. There we go. He is <laughs> going to revolutionize the world with his music and yeah. we can tell because all of his songs you know so profound and, and life-changing yeah exactly what would we do without somebody like Ed Sheeran I don't know I would things to work that's right that's who right who else would do it <laughs> now you were talking a little bit about this this notion of, of toxic masculinity yeah yeah so Ed Sheeran so Ed Sheeran kind of really leans into this like nice guy kind of I guess, whole, like, persona, just, like, his appearance and the things he talks about in interviews and definitely thematically in his lyrics, um, but not in a productive way. Like, the whole nice guy's finish last thing is boring to begin with and whatnot. And then his music, it's just, like, when you read the lyrics, a lot of times he's just kind of talking about how he's, like, this good, like, everyday kind of person. He's not this crazy famous, like, pop star. He's just, like, your everyday Joe and he's doing his best, and so he deserves all of these things, <laughs> particularly, particularly women oh, yeah. and girls, as tends to be the trend in music in general, but this genre in particular. So his songs, it's just, uh, he's very, very entitled. There's this, I saw it compared to um, this SNL sketch that was done kind of recently where these girls were getting hit on at bars by guys who were, like, oh, I'm a feminist, like, I marched in the women's march, right. and then when they weren't interested in them, the guys, like, lose their shit, like, and are like, are you kidding you? me? Yes, I marched for you, like, I did everything right, like, I'm trying so I hard. the formula, exactly. I deserve it's this. It's like he's, like, just trying to, you know, put on this person, like, it's just so, like, kind of self-loathing, and, you know, I said entitled already, but I'm going to say it again, because it really, really is, um, and just kind of, like, off of that, the way he talks about women in his songs a lot of time, which just is, like, kind of low-key, I guess, misogynistic, which is not unique to him, for sure, but... It's misogynistic. It's very heteronormative. Very heteronormative. The way he talks about girls and women in his songs is always very, like, Mm two-dimensional. They're only, you know... Uh, like definition we get of anyone's character is how they like hurt him mm-hmm. and how they treated him unfairly and he deserved better um, and then sometimes he's just like outright really mean and like gross <laughs> and the things he says 
towards like what you would suppose would be like somebody he was in a relationship with that he's writing about. Yeah, like that one song. I literally I just saw it pulled up on your screen. It, you need me. I don't need you. Mm-hmm. That's a title. It's not even a line. Well, I mean, but that is a line. But it is, but a it's a lot. Like, yes. Oh man, there's like a a dinosaur junior song that does something kind of like this, where they just like repeat this line. I think for like the whole end of the song, and it's something like like why don't you like me? And it just like goes on like ad nauseum for like forever. It's very reminiscent of this, I think. That's funny. I haven't heard that song, but. It's not good. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. This is so. That's really interesting. This whole like uh, entitlement thing. I guess I've never really thought about that. I've just been really like concerned with the, the terrible lyrics. Yeah. And, like, well, for just, one, he's like doing this ter- like he's talking about women in a bad way, and it's like this weird kind of like trope that exists in music already. And then he's not even doing like a good like poetic job of it. You're right. <laughs> you're right. I mean, it's just it's just so. <laughs> one dimensional it's like the exactly. same song on every album for over and over and over mm-hmm, again mm-hmm. and he's I mean making it big though like oh, selling out stadiums and he's doing super the same super thing. wealthy yeah, yeah. despite what the lyrics you know you just read off were about That's how right. fame is the money is evil, evil or whatever fame is awful I'm just making tons of money <laughs> profiting off making this one album mm. over and over again <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's it's so, it's so crazy <laughs> how like much he's blown up. I had friends in high school that were just obsessed with Ed Sheeran. And I was always like, guys, like, do you ever listen? <laughs> like, do you, ever, do you like realize that they just eat up the same stuff? And I, I don't know. So it's it's like really formulaic, and it's like he's found a formula that works. Mm-hmm. And hell, my grandma called me the other day and was like. Like, are you going to the Ed Sheeran concert? Oh because God. I found out he's come to Nashville. Like, you're going, aren't you? And I was like, I don't know, Grandma. And she was like, I want to go. Uh, so Ed Sheeran has even enraptured my grandma. That says something. It does. It really does. <laughs> um, yeah. Should we keep going with this guy? or should we? I don't know. Like, have we... Have we exhausted? I don't know. It's like I've said everything I have yeah, to say about Ed Sheeran. I feel like we, we accomplished what we set out to do. Should we talk about 21 Pilots? We can, we, can, uh, we can get into 21 Pilots for a little bit. So we'll we'll touch on Ed Sheeran and 21 Pilots, and then I want to do Eminem, but that's that's yes. that's next time. That's Maybe one for next time. <laughs> that's a whole episode. Oh, yeah. that is. I've got a lot to a, say about that one. Definitely. But I also have a lot to say about 21 Pilots. It's very. Mm. I feel very similar. So I'm a disclaimer, a real disclaimer. I was a sophomore year Cole was like really... And oh, pilots. me too. Me too. Like sophomore, freshman year of high school, hard. They were absolutely yeah. They were great. Um, I remember I listened to Vessel, like their second album, and I was like, "This is amazing. It's revolutionary. revolutionary. I've never heard anything like mm-hmm. it. They're so real and, and honest. Raw. Yeah, and mm-hmm. their, their lyrics are amazing. I remember thinking yes. that. I remember thinking their lyrics are just incredible. Like when they say when they sing, um, "We're broken people." Like oh my god, thirty seconds straight. I was like, yeah, I feel that. Exactly. That resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, their fans are kind of the worst, too. That's a big part of the problem. Their fans are also it's kind just, of the worst. I can't think of, you know, like, the list of bands beyond 21 Pilots that get cringier is pretty short. Oh, yeah. I feel like. Oh, absolutely. Um, I remember, this is, I love this story. In my my senior year of high school, there was this girl I was was talking to who was like a big she was a big 21 pilots mm-hmm. fan 
and it was the night after, I think it was the Grammys, the the VMAs, I don't know, they performed ASAP Rocky. And this girl was talking, she was like, did you see the Toronto Pilots performance last night? And I was like, yeah, it was, it was fine. And she was like, yeah, it was fine except for that, like, no-name rapper that they were with. Like, oh who God. was that? And I was like... Excuse you. Excuse, excuse you. you. Go wash your mouth out, I said. <laughs> um, yeah, I will never forget that. I thought that was hilarious. She was like, this no-name rapper performed with 21 Pilots, the greatest wow. band in the world. Wow. Yeah, so their fans are the worst. Definitely. And their lyrics, I mean, emo, like, 10th grade Aiden would disagree with me now, but they're not that great either. I uh, know. They are. I If... Um, if I had to credit them one thing, there was like, there's a like really basic amount of like introspection that's like notable at the at, in like the slightest mm-hmm. degree. Um, yeah. There is there is like some value. There's, there's like a some little bit. There's value. something there. Right. There's something there. Um, it is wildly blown out of proportion by fans. Yeah. Naturally, myself, it doesn't mm-hmm. like that, and this mm-hmm. is going to dislike it more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's. I guess it's productive in some ways. People, you know, definitely identify with it, get something out of it. You know, yeah, if you're, like, 12. If you're, like, yeah, 12 and sad and in high school. (laughs) And middle school. All of us are at some point. At some point. Yeah, middle school. (laughs) Um, But once you're out of that phase of your life, then I would hope you would be out of that phase (laughs) of your music uh, interest as well. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of describe... I've said this before. I describe describe 21 Pilots... um, you know, and Ed Sheeran would agree, and like I don't know, I just like Jay Cole, like they're I, I they're sophomoric, literally, like yeah. <laughs> they're they're like literally sophomoric, um, and you know you just it's a phase, you go through it, but then you grow out of it, and if you don't grow out of it, that's not great. It's kind of sad. It's kind exactly, of sad. yeah, and and that's kind of well the blurry phase. That's where it really, I think. I mean, I wouldn't say Vessel is a great album by any means, but surely not. Blurry phase compared to that is. Quite the the downhill slide, I would say. I agree. Although, again, sophomore Cole loved Blurry Face, <laughs> but looking back, I I know it was it was a back step. Yeah, and um, the this whole like image thing, you know, with that album with the hats and like the makeup and the the do you remember like the black paint stuff that Tyler Joseph would like have on his neck and hands? The hats and the makeup. Yeah. Okay. Like they they were like always in these beanies. And Josh, uh, what's his last name? I can't remember his last name. Uh, the drummer. Josh's yeah, his first right. name had, like, this crazy red, like, eyeshadow, eye makeup. And then Tyler Joseph has always had, um, like, this black paint on his neck and hands. He got a lot of, uh, like, flack for that. Um, like, just compared to blackface Obviously, at times. Yeah. Josh Dunn, that's who he is. Yeah, and the red hair, like, it turned into, like, such a whole, you know, image, like, overall aesthetic just beyond the album Mm -hmm. which also obviously translates to the way that fans you know go about their their lives yeah absolutely i'm looking at this this photo right now of this like these brooding men in front of like they look scary yeah they look scary josh dunn has his hair red he has red eyeshadow on tyler joseph Mm -hmm. is wearing this red beanie they're against this red backdrop it's just really like really intense it's intense it's kind of angry like it's definitely Look at this. This is not yeah. great. And so here you can really see, like, the, the like, makeup mm-hmm. he's got the on cup. his hands oh, yeah, and he's his got neck. Black. And it's always just Tyler. Like, I'm... It's That's weird. I've, I've never, like, ever 
Notice that? It's very that? controversial. Automatic? I think it was yeah. in a music video um, that came out ahead of the album. Mm-hmm. Definitely got a lot I don't know how I missed that. I guess I was caught up in my too caught up in my phase where I just <laughs> missed the fact that they were being problematic. Mm-hmm. As it usually goes when you're in high school. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know that there's much more to say. There is, um, we've talked about Ed Sheeran. We've talked, talked about, about Ed Sheeran and his just, like, triteness of lyrics mm-hmm. and content and mm-hmm. his, like, ambiguous misogyny and, yeah. and whatnot. Yep. <laughs> Uh, 21 Pilots, very similar kind of themes. Soundtrack to a 12-year, a depressed 12-year-old's life, uh, well, like, quote-unquote depressed 12-year-old's life. <laughs> yep, uh, pretty cliche, boring stuff, once again. Um, yeah, yeah, that's much more to say. Um, we're, we'll be back. Definitely. We're gonna come... Got a long list. Oh, we got a long list of people. There is a lot of people that really just need to be roasted, and, uh, this There's is some really bad music it. out there, and we're here to talk about it. <laughs> So, um, catch us next time. Again, I'm Cole Jackson. I'm Aiden Islands. And we will see you guys later. Hello. My name is Sammy Spencer. And I'm George Miller. And we are here today to do a segment, a new segment called Talks About the Process, which hopefully will be occurring weekly and will involve myself, Sammy, interviewing somebody about their artistic process. So George here has been a friend of mine for a long time, or I guess yeah, kind of a long time, four years. That's Depends a on, college long time. Yeah, a college, a college attorney. That's a, that's almost a full college. <laughs> <laughs> true. I met George on the first day of college. That's true. Wow. Oh, my parents thought he was a fine, upstanding young man. But now, here we are today. It's all wrong. Oh, that's, that's okay. <laughs> sorry, Mom. <and> <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> so this boy is here today, this man, sorry, to talk about art and how he makes it and, yeah, his background. So I'd like him to start by talking about his background, <laughs> if you would. Um, thanks for having me, Sammy. Uh, this is my first time ever doing a WRVU radio thing, actually, which I'm really excited to be here for. Um, but yeah, I'm George. I'm a senior uh, at the Blair School of Music, and I study music composition. And um, have over the past couple of years, I've gotten more and more involved in um, the collaborative arts and producing projects um, and directing live theater in particular. I'm really interested in uh, in dance and opera, um, and so focusing a lot on that in terms of my own creative process and hopefully trying to help other artists, um, particularly young artists at Vanderbilt and in Nashville, um, sort of achieve what they are trying to do and maybe help inspire and um, provide resources and things like that is a lot of a lot of what I'm about. So. And could you mention intermission? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, about a year ago, started a, a group, um, particularly, yeah, it's, it's a group of creators called Intermission, and Intermission is... Um, yeah, a bit mostly kind of what I, what I mentioned in terms of um, like a resource center. I, it's an art collective, it's a sort of company of artists, um, and we collaborate with um, organizations in town to produce larger scale projects and hopefully um, give young artists, people in our collective, opportunities to work professionally in Nashville um, and have the resources to get uh, whatever projects that they want to get done. done. Um, so kind of like a 
the whole is better than the one in some cases. So what was the most recent project that you worked on for them? So the last thing that we did, we did a really big one actually, we just finished um, and we're sort of moving out of it, it was uh, our big project when we dialect, we did a thing called Third Voice, um, and that was a project, but it's the second year that we've worked with the dialects, which has been a really, really productive um, relationship in town. Um, and actually one of the reasons why intermission uh, came to be was working with the dialects. Um, and we started a project with them where we team up choreographers and composers to work together and hopefully create brand new works um, and have basically the time and the space to create new works together with equal artistic input. So often um, you'll have a choreographer come up with a premise or concept for a dance piece and you know he or she will change the music six or seven times before they land on a piece that they like. Or a composer will write a piece and say, you know, hand it over to a dance company and say, here, dance to this piece. Um, and it doesn't really work. Uh, or in terms of like a sort of, you know, the, the outcome may not be um, a sort of what you might call a collaborative work. Um, and so what we're really trying to achieve with this project is seeing what happens when you put a composer and choreographer together, you know, basically both as directors of the project to um, come together and create this this new work um, that yeah, kind of equally informs a big thing. So. so would you say that you prefer to make art in a collaborative setting, making art with others? Yes, yeah, so that was the... Um, uh, but one of the questions that Sammy graciously, am I spilling the beans? That I, uh, we had talked a little bit about some of the talking points, um, sure. but yeah, I think um, in terms of like collaborative work versus individualized work, it, it just depends on the artist and it depends on um, what kind of process they're mostly interested in. Um, particularly when you're when you're talking about uh, moving on from student work into the professional world, a lot of that has to do with role definition, I think. Um, with what? With role definition. And like, basically, what is your actual job? Like, are you a composer? Are you a producer? Are you a director? Are you a stage manager? Are you, you know, working in administration? And, um, and I think those jobs, you know, it's like, it's a sort of um, talent management kind of thing based on, when, you know, once you get a lot of people who are interested in the arts, it's like, okay, what? is the best fit for what you're actually interested in. Are you interested in working with people? Are you interested in being in a studio alone? Are you interested um, in, you know, are you interested in your peers' ideas? Like, you know, I think um, so much of collaboration has to do, you have to have faith in the people that you're working with, you have to trust them, and there's a lot of trust involved. Um, so a lot of times when people get forced to work together, it can be not super productive. Um, but I personally do prefer working with other people. And that's something that I've learned, I think, over the last five or six years as I've been doing this, is that um, for me, composition, I learned this sort of a couple of years, two or three years ago, really, that for me, composition was, was a vehicle to get into the studio to then start working with other people um, and produce projects and, and direct. I'm really, really interested in, in the process of taking finished work and putting it on stage or putting it in the recital hall, um, putting it in the concert venue, whatever it is. Um, so for me, it's, it's been a lot of, a lot of, and, and yeah, sort of learning how to collaborate has been a process that, you know, I've, I've started, I've, I feel like I've learned a lot, but also have so much to learn with the folders. How often do you feel like you interact with somebody in the artistic community that very obviously is like 
I am an artist who does my art. Yeah, I I I think uh, I think there's all kinds of different artists, honestly, yeah. and, and I think that like it, it's it's really easy, at least in my experience now, which has been mostly as a you know very low level person on bigger style productions or as a you know DIY college artist. Um, so that being said. I've had some professional experience, but not a ton. Um, but at this point, I think a lot of people might say that they collaborate, and they actually aren't collaborating. Um, I think that, and that's another big thing with role definition, and sometimes role definition gets kind of skewed. Um, but I really think it depends, too, on, on where the person might come from and, and, and how they, you know, what, what a particular artist so much of it has to do with like what someone thinks an artist should be. You know, it, is an artist this sort of, I mean, so much of the second half of the 20th century is about um, sort of debunking this romantic idea that an artist is this creative genius who's going to sort of unveil some um, some greater truth to yeah, the world. Some other you know? world yeah, thing. exactly. And, and I think that I've, that's, that's personally, that's not really my belief system. I'm much more into the idea that, you know, people can sort of get together, you know, I'm, I think that like, you know, yeah, exactly. like you look at, you know, things like movies, theater, opera, like, you know, a lot of dance, um, collaborative dance, you know, there, there is, there is no whole without the parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's definitely my view is, is that, you know, I know that I need these other people, um, to make a work that's greater than whatever I can do alone. Um, but there's a lot of very, very famous and important artists and influential artists and some of the best artists that we have who did not necessarily think that way. Um, but I do think that the 20th century has, particularly the latter half of it, has kind of moved us as a whole like out of that. Um, it's a very romantic idea in general. Yeah, that creative one genius exactly. who's pull himself away and yeah. come out 30 years later yeah. with this magnum opus. Right, right. So you also mentioned during that that you kind of have your focus during the process on bringing the piece to the venue. Like, would you say that that is the most important part? So, I mean, for me, for you. yeah, for me it is, yeah. And I, and I think that um, this is another big, big thing. Um, this is another big, you know, uh, there are definitely um, people who, like, I, I don't know, I, I think back to this quote that, I know I'm quoting people or whatever, but um, like, <laughs> I learned it in music school, I swear, that like, uh, there's this really famous composer, uh, or important composer from the 20th century called Milton Babbitt, um, who did all this like really basically like, you know, in the mid 20th century, like avant-garde theater is having all this kind of crazy, you know, music has gone so far. He's doing all this work with electronics and, and he published an essay, he was a professor at Princeton, and he published an essay called Who Cares If You Listen? Um, and it's all about this idea that like, you know, we've gotten to this point technologically, musically, and sort of we've gone through romanticism, we've gone through modernism, now we're in this place where like anything goes and we're making music you know, based on algorithms and based on all this kind of conceptual material that doesn't sound good to, to a lot of people and no one really cares and the only people who really care about it are academics and, and all this stuff. And there's this big thing where, you know, they interviewed Babbitt and they interviewed Stephen Sondheim who wrote you know, he wrote the words to West Side Story, he wrote Sweeney Todd, he was a big musical theater guy. And um, the question was like, you know, what are you worried, what's going to happen to your music after you die? And Babbitt was like, I'm going to, I don't really care what happens to my music after I die because I won't be around to hear it. 
And Stephen Sondheim said, I don't really care what happens to my music after my die. After I die, I'm just going to be upset that I won't be around to see the audience react to it. And I think that like that's a really big dichotomy between like function of the work and role. I mean, you're talking about all these sort of themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I personally, based on my experience, I make art um, for the audience generally, just because I've had such good experiences as an audience member that that's a lot of my, I'm always thinking about the audience when I'm writing pieces or producing work. Okay. So. How often are you drafting what you're working on in front of an audience? As in? As in, like for example, you're working on a composition. Mm-hmm. Because you're so focused on the audience, are you kind of bringing pieces of it in to kind of workshop and get feedback on with a mock audience? Yes, definitely, yes. yeah, definitely. Especially over the last couple of years. Um, that process has been really, really important. I mean, feedback in general is just, is just so damn important. We're, we're, I'm writing on, uh, my first comedy right now, actually. Um, Wait, an opera? Yeah, we're writing oh. an opera, and it's, and it's supposed to be funny. Okay. Um, <laughs> Good luck. Is it, I don't know if it is funny, but, <laughs> um, you know, but that's just a great example of, like, you know, you know, we're, the, th- the three creators, um, Chris Bell and Isabella Prusese and I, Prusese and I, um, you know, we're trying to write this piece, we're trying to make it funny, and it's like the three of us sitting in the room, and we think it's funny, but, you know, of course, our sense of humor, the comedy's very, very hard, and all that. Um, so that process has been huge. You know, we're shopping it, and trying things out, bringing friends into the studio, um, when we rehearse, just to get some feedback. Um, and that being said, too, a lot of work, I mean, improv work, and... You know, particularly with dance, can involve the audience, um, and that's something that I always really enjoy too. Um, you know, it's the belief, it's the sort of approach that maybe, um, you know, if you allow whatever, you know, something could sort of happen on the night and allow and invite that to be a part of your piece and trust it to be a part of your piece, that can be a really beautiful thing mm-hmm. as well. Um, Do you have an example of what that might look like? Yeah, I think that. Um, like something will happen during a show that kind of like a mess up maybe? Yeah, I think just improv in general, like like creating a structured improv mm-hmm. um, is okay. something that we do a lot with music and dance. Um, so, and just sort of, it, it's like, a, I don't know, from, it, it can be like an acceptance kind of thing where I think, um, yeah, you just kind of accept the pieces. You know, it's more like the piece is the process, okay. you know, and, and whatever the process Whatever the outcome of the process is, is the piece. And that, the process is never finished. Right. So there is that sort of like, you know, interesting. But I think that that's, that approach is one thing. That makes me think of recently I saw a Nashville songwriter during a songwriter kind of critique at Blair, mm-hmm. the Blair School of Music. And R. L U M. R. R. the Mark is his name. But every, every question, he just kept saying, well, just, I'd like to preface this by saying that art is never finished, it's just abandoned. Because people are asking all these questions about how he gets to these final products, and yeah. how he has enough faith in something to release it, and, and every time you just say, like, I listen to things I've released, my single I released last week, and I yeah. think I'll have it. Yeah, and, and I, that's another thing that you know, so many people talk about, like, in terms of, like, and I've never, personally, I've never had an issue closing a book on a piece. Hmm. Like, I don't have... Yeah, I, it gets I, to a point where you're like, it's yeah, hard. like I think, I, I think like, um, yeah, but I know a lot of people who feel differently about that, um, and so I just think it depends on, yeah, I think that that's an interesting kind of thing, but like I, I kind of, my approach is definitely, 
like, okay, this piece sort of exists within the time that I created it, and that's kind of just is what it is. And I think that when we look back, some people like to, you know, when you study art, you might look at a piece and say, okay, like, you know, Monet was 25 when he made this, early Monet, and if you, you know, compare this to late Monet, you know, what's the, look at how you know, there's this sort of growth, and kind of accepting that um, within a more grander process of, like, yourself. And that, that, you know, that's like an acceptance thing, too, you know, where it's like you've created this thing, and you can kind of just, like, let it. Yeah, stand alone. Yeah, yeah. just let it's it be what it is, you know. Yeah, yeah it is what it is. Huh. Um, so one thing that I'm most interested in, how you say that when you make art, you're focused on the audience. That's the first top thing in your mind. Totally. My experience as a dancer, I guess, my experience as a dancer, as an artist, is when I'm trying to get into a nice sesh, when I'm trying to just close the door, music on, and just dance for a while, There's, I'm actually trying to forget about other people as much as possible. Totally. <laughs> like the most valuable part of the experience for me is being able to just like completely let go yeah. Do you feel like because there is so much value on the audience when you're making it, you're kind of not sacrificing those moments, but like it does that kind of experience still have a place in your process? It does a little bit, but for me, that's not really why I, I make work, mm. I think, which is which is now back to a bigger question of just like it's just a subjective kind of thing. And I think that what's really, what resonates with me about, about that for your process is almost like that of a... Of a, of a creative artist, not necessarily as a performer, but as a uh, whether you're doing performance or not, um, but mostly, yeah, as a as a creative to sort of reach this place. It's like a therapeutic thing, um, which I think is so so productive for so many people, and it's 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 why a lot of my friends do art. Um, but that being said, I think when I, like I sort of reach that that place, um, I, I say that like because my experience putting on pieces like like at the night of the show say like the opening night of the show is always every every opening I've ever had is always always this weird blur just because there's so much going through my head and I don't really register it and I, it's impossible to register you know if you've been working on a dance piece for four months it's impossible to register in the same way as an audience member who's seen it for the very first time in your life um, so for me most of those moments do happen during rehearsal I think when we get to a place and I might see something for the first time and really feel it, like as an, as an audience member in the studio. Because at that time, you know, even on the director and all that, I'm sitting there watching the scene happen and something might happen for the first time. And you might get that feeling of like, oh, that's, that's what we're doing here. You know, that's, the, that's what we want. But then the next time you see it, it might not hit you in the same way. Um, but, but yeah, in terms of that, I, that's, I, I don't really, if I'm looking for something to escape, it's actually usually through things, not through my sort of professional art mm. sort of workspace. I think it's it's more in just other hobbies. Yeah, yeah. other outlets. Yeah, interesting. So you made the distinction there between the creative and the professional artist, or the performer. The, yeah, yeah, the creative and the performer. Mm -hmm. What would you recommend for somebody who feels kind of like they're not stuck in the creative, but like? Kind of feel like there's experience in this creative flourish and want to share, but like I, I don't really know if I want to like start doing choreography. Right. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, like um, someone who's performing and not doing as much like sort of creative work or something like vice versa. Some, yeah, someone vice versa. Like someone who's having those like creative experiences, but like not really sure how to like go about presenting that in any way. Yeah, I think that 
I think that if you if you feel, I mean that's it goes it, then it gets to a place of like inspiration, you know, like what inspires you to to why as an artist put some put something in front of an audience, um, and you know, do you feel like it's something that you believe in enough that you know, it's, it's, you have to have a certain sense. Of, I hate to say ego or something. You ha- at one point you have to say okay. This is something that I believe in, that I th- want to tell people about through whatever medium, you know, whether it's a film or you know, poetry or whatever. I want to have other people experience it because I believe in it, and I believe that maybe they can have a productive experience with it. And that being said, if you're <clears throat> if you're doing something like 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 dance or um, something to that you're doing for yourself as a more therapeutic process. You know, there. I think there are a lot of people that might find your process beautiful. So, you just have to allow them to, to be a part of it. So, like maybe you know, it might not be traditional. You know, ballet. It's like there are two hundred dance moves. It's like it's just like music, where it's like there's two hundred dance moves or so. It's a language. It's a musical, you know, sort of movement language. Um, you know, you might not have to learn any of that. You could put your process on stage and invite people to engage with it, and it could be just as meaningful. Um, and I think a lot of people are taught that that's appropriate, and I think that um, a lot of the, at least the contemporary art that I've been working with and have been seeing recently, has been a lot of that sort of engaging with an, in maybe an internal process, and it could mean something totally different for different for an audience member and a performer, but that connection can still be beautiful. Okay, so that was the first installment of Talks About the Process with myself, Sammy, and my guest, George. Thank you so much, George. Thank you so much for having me, Yeah. This is really fun. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's great. It's nice to be able to talk about um, the things you always just wonder about by yourself yeah. with somebody else. Once again, thank you for tuning in. This has been the WRU Podcast Episode 2. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your grandma. Let the world know what we're doing over here. Have a wonderful day.